Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am one of your co-hosts, Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino, and of course joining me this week and every week is your other co-host, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. And Jay, we're coming off of this bye week, you know, we got to celebrate a victory for almost two weeks, and now of course it is back to business, so it is good to be back here with you. Of course, hope you got some rest in this past Sunday. I just got to sit back and enjoy some football on Sunday and, and Monday night and all of that and excited to see the team who now has just a tiny little bit of momentum, you know, get back on the field and excited to uh, talk to you about it. Yeah, I mean, I think like we went through the week happy that we got a little break from the Jaguars. At the same time, in the back of our mind, we was like, please, Herb, don't do nothing off the wall that's going to have to require us to work even harder than we planned to this weekend. Which, you know, it was a quiet week for Urban Meyer, so that's good as well. So I enjoyed my weekend, got to watch the Braves go, uh, you know, make their pitch into the World Series. Also, uh, didn't have to stress over the Bulldogs playing whoever in the SEC. So that was good, even though they're playing very, very well, by the way. So, yeah, man, it was a all-around good week for me. Glad to be back and talking some football and uh, looking ahead to the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, man, the sports week was a little rough for me. Of course, the Red Sox got eliminated. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. For those of you that don't know the story as to how that happened, I'll save that for another time. You're probably wondering how in the hell did that happen? Don't even worry about it. The Dallas Mavericks got off to an iffy start. Their home opener or their season opener, they got absolutely blown out by the Atlanta Hawks. Jay, I'm sure you saw that. So that didn't go well, but they did win their next game against Toronto. So, you know, they're figuring things out as they go. And um, yeah, but other than that, it was a pretty relaxing week. The only thing exciting that happened to me here today, Jay, is that Dave Batista from Guardians of the Galaxy retweeted me. So that was a good day. That is my definition of having a good week. So I saw that. And that's <laughs> yeah. awesome, man. I would love to have Dave Batista on the podcast, Dude, bro. Like I told you, you know, it's my professional goal one day to interview Dave Batista. You know, I've looked up to him, admired him since his wrestling days. He's part Filipino, so. You know, him and I have very similar physiques, Jay, I'm sure you know, for those of you who have never seen me, just imagine that I look like Dave Batista and don't, don't question it. Don't look at my Twitter profile picture, Instagram, just, just trust that I look like Dave Batista, right, Jay? <laughs> Bro, if you look like Dave Batista, I already got to flip mouth and say a lot of what I want to say when we're <laughs> out in public, but I will really be saying a lot of what I will want in public and daring somebody to try me if you look like Dave Batista. <laughs> I look like Dave Batista's like, right bicep like just about just that and that's about it's <laughs> about how big i am but yeah this episode's going to be a little bit shorter as you can see by the runtime we're of course going to go behind enemy lines with tim weaver the managing editor of the seahawks wire but it's a little light on jaguar news of course we didn't have a game this past week so jay and i are going to take this opportunity to make this one a little bit shorter and get in and out of here we're just going to go over a couple of you know very brief pieces of news but before we do that we want to thank you all so much for supporting the show. We truly couldn't do that without you. And uh, we thank you so much. Anybody that's listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. It's one of the best ways you can support the show. Spotify just added the ability on Apple devices, I believe, to leave reviews on podcasts. So we would really appreciate it. Of course, we're also found on Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. You can find us at Believe.com as part of the Believe Podcast Library. You can follow the show on Twitter at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F I L I P 
P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at sportsgrind underscore Don. And before we get to this little bit of news, of course, we have to give a shout out to our sponsor this week, which is BetOnline. And that's because BetOnline is back and better than ever. It's got a brand new web interface for the start of basketball season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all basketball and football action all season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, everybody. And Jay, we're just going to talk about a couple of injuries here before we get into behind enemy lines with Tim. And, you know, one is one we kind of assumed it was just wasn't confirmed until a little bit later. And that's that DJ Chark will miss the remainder of the season. Again, we kind of had a feeling that would be the case, but we got full confirmation just the other day. And then also, in a tweet coming out from John Reed earlier today, Urban Meyer on his radio show did state that AJ Can is going to miss the remainder of the season as well. So, you know, Jay, we've talked about how Jamal Agnew has really stepped up in the absence of DJ Chark and really showing people that he's not just a return specialist. He can do this wide receiver thing very, very well at the same time. So between DJ Chark and AJ Can, you know, which one of these losses do you think is going to be a bigger deal for the Jaguars long term? Yeah, definitely uh, DJ Chark, even though he was struggling himself to find a groove these first, what was it? He, he played for them the first four weeks because it was against the Bengals that he was lost for the season. Uh, so yeah, I would say DJ Chark because I mean, the team had big plans for him, you know, even though he was struggling, the hope was that he would be their best deep threat, their best separator. We all know how Urban Meyer likes speed and like to stretch the field. So the hope was that they would get to that eventually with him. And also the reason for that is because with Can, the Jags have been barged waiting in the wings for Can. We don't know who is going to really take DJ. And they talked about this today, or, or excuse me, Urban talked about this in his last press conference. They don't know who will be the one to step up in DJ Chart's place. As you said, they've thrown Jamal Agnew out there. It could be him. That's a name that Urban Meyer went to. Or it could be Johnson as well. You know, um, they've thrown him out there as well as a name that could be that guy. But uh, he hasn't register but one catch yet and you know it seems like for whatever reason he's not clicking with the offense right now so yeah like with can and I think that's you know you never want to see a player get injured but I think that's the the good thing about can missing out is now we get to see Ben Barch uh take the field former fourth round pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars a lot of people felt he would be the future of that position at the right guard position and now he's getting his opportunity and, uh, you know, he can carry that momentum and, you know, hopefully he'll look good along the way from this point on week eight on to the rest of the season and carry that momentum and uh, pretty much secure the starting job next year as well. And that's one less need that the Jaguars would have to address uh, for the simple fact that A.J. Cam was on. He's on the last year of his deal anyway. So we needed to find out who was going to be the guard or the right guard of the future anyway, because A.J. Cam is on the last year of his contract as is Andrew Norwell. So 
that's another situation we got to address down the road. But, you know, Ben Barch gives us the luxury to see if we have the right guard of the future and find out if we can uh, take care of one less need before 2022. I certainly do agree that it is DJ, you know, in the uh, at least in the immediacy, uh, even though he was struggling. And, uh, you know, we talked about it already in past episodes, how it may affect his future with the team. You know, it doesn't hurt that Urban Meyer seems to really believe in him, of course, you know, before this injury. And I'm sure still continues to today with all the work that he had put in with him in the, uh, you know, in the preseason and uh, everything that we saw as far as them, you know, working one-on-one off to the sidelines before minicamp and training camp and all that kind of stuff. But you certainly never like to see injuries that end someone's season. You know, you work so hard throughout the offseason, throughout OTAs, throughout training camp and everything to get prepared. And then, you know, just the, the nature of the game that they play, unfortunately, where stuff like this does continue to happen. But Jay, I mean, I will say, you know, eight weeks into the year, the team is relatively healthy and you, and you really can't be mad about that. I agree. I agree. I'm glad you said that because that's something I wanted to speak on is the health. And that seems to be something that Urban Meyer, he came into this equation, right, as the Jaguars head coach wanting to work on eliminating. We heard that story about, uh, you know, the process of them going about eliminating soft tissue injuries and all of these common injuries you see in the NFL. And it seems that maybe Urban Meyer's uh, dedication and his strength and conditioning staff dedication to avoiding soft tissue injuries and, you know, avoiding a lot of injuries in general is starting to pay off. And, uh, you know, that's why you like to see these things with them getting the new facility that they want or that they want uh, in terms of, you know, all of the things that they will have at their disposal in terms of what the new facility will offer in terms of sports medicine and science, this, that, and the other. And by the way, I, I think if I can recall, I was reading that, you know, one of the offices that they're building for the uh, shipyards will be a sports or, or excuse me, a um a medical related facility uh, tied in with some type of medical company from Jacksonville. Perhaps we'll have to see, you know, those things haven't been disclosed yet or decided yet, but maybe that goes in the right direction. So maybe you see the Jacksonville Jaguars working closely with one of the, you know, like Florida Baptist or one of those uh, companies in Florida in terms of getting their medical uh, situation up to speed or to the best of their ability. So, yeah, I agree, man. They've pretty much been relatively healthy, which is what you need because they're a team that lacks talent. And the more injured a less talented team is, the worse the season is going to go. That's right, folks. But of course, you know, we hope that uh, DJ and AJ both have quick and speedy recoveries. But Jay, with that being said, you know, there's not really much else that we wanted to discuss as far as any news that happened during the week. You know, it's funny that as we lead into this conversation we just had with Tim, it's funny that we didn't even mention, you know, the last time the Seahawks and Jaguars matched up was the game that we were at back in December of 2017 at TIAA Bank Field, then Everbank Field, um, where, where the player, whose name is escaping right now, of course, almost crawled into the, uh, into the, into the stands, and we thought... Point you know, in Jefferson. Right, right. And we were thinking, oh, here it goes, Malice of the Palace Part 2 in Jacksonville, and we weren't sure what the hell was going on. So here we are four years later, about to talk about the matchup with the Seattle Seahawks here, but... Yeah, with that being said, again, without any other news to speak on, we're going to go ahead and get into Behind Enemy Lines with Tim Weaver 
managing editor of the Seahawks Wire over on USA Today. All right, Jaguar fans, and we are back with our recurring series of Behind Enemy Lines, where we preview the upcoming matchup for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And of course, this week, it is the Jaguars and Seahawks. The Jaguars will be traveling up to Seattle for, at one point, Jay seemed like most likely a you know, a guaranteed loss, but now things are a little bit different. So, of course, we're going to be bringing in a guest, and that guest today is another one of Jay's fellow managing editors over at the Seahawks Wire, Tim Weaver. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. We're very much looking forward to having this conversation with you and getting a little preview of this weekend's game. So we'll get right into it here. You know, just, you know, one of the reasons I mentioned that this game now becomes a little bit more winnable is because of what's going on at quarterback. So in your eyes, let us know, you know, how do you think Geno Smith has fared since being thrust into this starting quarterback role? Because, of course, the Jaguars are going to be looking to exploit that if they want to win. Well, he's been about as good as you can expect a normal backup to be. I think going into the season, ESPN or somebody had Geno Smith like number 16 or number 17 among backups, which is pretty much average. And that's right where he's been. But problem is that's such a huge, huge step down from where Russell Wilson's level of play is that like it, it's really exposed all the other things that are wrong with this team. Now, turns out Russell Wilson was carrying and lifting everybody up. And now that he's not there, you see. Oh, oh, there's a flaw we didn't really know before. There was something that was there, but it wasn't really that much of a problem. But now that Russell Wilson is gone, you see, okay, this is how flawed this team is. So it's a, it's a totally, it's a very scary, revealing kind of thing. Like learning the person you're in a relationship is not the person you thought they were. It, it's not been a fun few weeks. <laughs> Oof, that is, uh, <laughs> that's uncovering some wounds that I didn't, you know, bury deep. <laughs> but yeah, that's, a really, that's a really good comparison there, you know, and just seeing this thing, unfold and then you know hearing Geno Smith's name which of course is a Seahawks fan you never really want to hear as far as him being the starting quarterback so yeah you know the Jaguars with a little bit of momentum I mean granted they have one win but like you have a little bit of momentum and you go into Seattle which is a notoriously difficult place to win of course but now you have a little bit of hope right Jay I mean that's the you know that's the saying in Ted Lasso it's the hope that kills you and as a Jaguar fan we definitely know that's very very dangerous (laughs) Yeah, well, we would know all about that personally. And he kind of hit something on something that I'll talk about later. I guess I shouldn't jump ahead because this is some questions in advance. But that was a thing that I've heard was an issue with Daryl Bevel. It's under his offenses. And again, we'll get into this later. Is the Seahawks organization and fans were finding out that he was really propelling that offense just through Russ. And eventually, like, they needed it to be more than Russ, and that's kind of what led to him getting fired. But again, I'm digressing from the point. I'm going to let Phil take that question after the one I have, which is on the defense, right? At one point in time, you know, the the defense, right, Tim, for the Seattle Seahawks, were they pretty much were at the mountaintop of defenses in terms of the NFL. So, it, you know, it's no longer that way, in my opinion, or in a lot of people's opinion. I think they're like 30th against the run and might be – Uh, somewhere along those lines against the pass. So all of that said, what has led to them being more of an offensive team than a defensive team? And do you think they'll ever get back to where they were when they once were a dominant defensive team back in the days of Richard Sherman and, uh, you know, all of those guys they had over there, Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas? I don't think that era is ever coming back. 
that was just such a rare collection of talents. Like from 2012 to 2015, I think they were like number one DVOA on defense. They were just every year first in points allowed or very close to the top. It was such a dominant group. Like, and you don't see that anymore. That's such a rare thing. It was like uh, something like the Vikings and the Steelers in the 70s to have like a defense that dominant. That's not coming back. And part of the reason why we've gotten here, I think, is the draft has become a real problem. Like since I, I wouldn't know exactly where to put the pin on it, but I think when Scott McLaughlin left, he was one of their former executives. He also had a hand in building those good uh, 49er teams under Jim Harbaugh and he was in Washington for a while. He built them up. Since he left, the draft returns have just gotten worse and worse. And there's been almost nothing on defense. The best two draft picks they've gotten in the last six years, it's Metcalf and Lockett, and that's about it. Nothing on defense. They had a trade for Jamal Adams. I love Jamal Adams. I am completely biased on that apart, but they gave up too much for him. And then you had to, you had no choice but to give him all that money, uh, make him the highest paid safety in the league. But it just still, it's not a great idea. The way that they've used their draft capital, uh, and this is not the first time. They did the same thing for Jimmy Graham. That didn't turn out well. They did the same thing with Percy Harvin. That blew up in their faces. It just it seems to be a pattern of these uh, throwing away first round picks and like just generally not using that draft well. So it's just been like a slow fall. Now Bobby Wagner's the only guy that's left. They let KJ Wright went to the Raiders. They shouldn't have let him go. They had a chance to shine Richard Sherman uh, before he went to the Bucks. He was available. Um, he says uh, the Seahawks and the Niners didn't make an offer considering the help they needed at corner. That didn't make any sense to me. But yeah, it's pretty much, it's just Bobby Wagner now and Jamal Adams. And if just those two are carrying such a heavy load, and if one of them is not at 100%, that's a real problem. And right now, that, that's what's going on. You need both of those guys playing like superstars for this defense to be passable. And it's been better. It really has it's improved the last couple of weeks, but it's still a big, big problem, still not anywhere near where it used to be. Yeah, that's quite interesting to hear. And I say that because you still see it's still an era while the Seahawks defense isn't what it once was and the Seahawks as a group, a collective team, isn't what it once was. It's interesting because teams are still poaching executives from the Seahawks front office. And to hear you say like they've struggled in that aspect of especially making defensive picks is kind of alarming. And, uh, you know, you know, it makes you wonder, um, you know, as you said, how much uh, of of that team makeup was under uh, it, it was Peter McLaughlin, right? That you said that's been gone for quite some time now. So, anyhow, I'm gonna pass the next question over to my man Phil, who, um, as I said, is kind of related to a former offensive coordinator y'all had over there in uh, his time uh, with the Seahawks. Yeah, we've been heavily anticipating this matchup because we want to talk about. You know, former Seahawks offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel, who, of course, is now uh, holding that same position here in Jacksonville. And we've noticed that they've been incredibly hesitant to run the ball over 18 times with James Robinson, who, as we've been watching, looks like and plays like a top 10 fringe top five running back. Was this an issue that Pete Carroll had with him? Like, did he show some of these similar characteristics when he was with Seattle, you know, with Marshawn Lynch or whoever the running back was at that time, is that just kind of what Daryl Bevel does and is synonymous with? I, I thought in my time, I mean, this is me, but I always thought he ran too much. And that's kind of like my beef still today. Like last night we saw Alex Collins. They just kept running to a brick wall. I don't know how many eight man boxes 
uh, the Saints put out there, but they just kept running into a brick wall over and over again. I felt like that was a lot of my problem with Bevel. But like the little I do see Jacksonville, James Robson, he always jumps at me. Like he looks like their best player on offense. So I have no problem with giving a guy the ball. Where in our case, like right now, Metcalf is the best player on this team with Wilson out. He's the best athlete. He's the best talent. We need to get him the ball. And they got away from that after the first quarter. And that was a big problem. Uh, like you, you have to, I don't know, like you have to go with what you have. You can't make your offense for the personnel that you don't have. If you have, if, if your running back is your best player, like so wait, you need to ride that guy. So um, I don't know. I would say that wasn't my experience with him. There, there were a lot of problems with Bevel. Believe me, I have, I have a whole uh, psychology with Daryl Bevel uh, based on that Super Bowl play. I blame him more than anyone else. I know there's a lot, you know, Pete Carroll made the call technically. Uh, Russell Wilson made the throw. It was a heck of a play by Malcolm Butler. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But yeah, my experience is different. Sorry about that. (laughs) It'll never go away. It's just, it's seared into my brain. So I just have to accept it. Well, listen, you guys have that play. We have Miles Jack wasn't down. You know, every fan base has that one, that one painful memory (laughs) that they don't like to bring up. You know, the Titans falling like one yard short. I, I love bringing that up. Titans fans don't like it, obviously, though, Jay. But, you know, that's one of my favorite things to bring up. Um, also, you know, additionally, just sticking to some more coaching staff things, um, could you discuss Brian Schottenheimer's time is there? Because Russ seemed to really like him, as do Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Yeah, I thought he improved on a lot of the stuff. Like, they've always, the, the deep ball has been there all the time for Wilson, but I thought they didn't utilize it enough under Bevel. It seemed like it developed more. Schottenheimer was more willing to let Wilson embrace that creative, creative side to him the connection he has with Lockett, especially when a play breaks down, but just, I really liked, I thought there were some really creative designs. I think they may have let him go a little early. I definitely liked him more than Bevel. Um, it was an upgrade, but I don't know. They, they've kept it going. They tried to keep some of the stuff that Schottenheimer did the stuff that they do well right now. They were already doing well under Schottenheimer. So like it was kind of a, a lateral move so far. Uh, I'm not sure about that. But in both cases and and now, I think we're seeing it was really Russell Wilson that was driving it. It wasn't the genius of Daryl Bevel that got the Seahawks to where they were at their peak. And it wasn't the genius of uh, Schottenheimer either. It was mostly Russell Wilson. Like you don't draw up when the pocket collapses. He spins out and throws 40 yards and finds block it in the corner of the end zone. Like nobody draws that play up. It's Wilson that's carrying these guys more than anything else. But I, he has a very good talent in Lawrence too, though. So, you know, you have to, it's a it's more of an art than a science in my opinion you have to know when to let your talent do their thing but also uh, build a system that capitalizes on it too sure collaboration i think is kind of what you're you know alluding to their collaboration but also letting your talented players make talented plays you know and that's we have seen that out of trevor early on of course we've seen a huge body of work of russell wilson do that so um yeah but you know the the relationships seem to be working very, very well here. And we're, you know, very excited to hopefully see them continue to move in the right direction because we are seeing that weekly progress from the entire team, specifically Trevor Lawrence. But uh, Jay, I'll hand it off to you for this next question for a player that has definitely, of course, become a huge fan favorite here in Jacksonville in a very short amount of time. Yep. And that player is Shaq Griffin, uh, because when he came here, uh, you know, Seahawks Twitter and just a lot of Seahawks threads like uh, Reddit and what have you, a lot of Seahawks outlets, they seem to feel like that was a big deal to lose Shaquille Griffin. Uh, so that being said, like, could you talk about like his body of work while there? Because I've heard different things 
some people have said he was sporadic there. Some people are saying he's sorely missed there. Uh, but it feels like a majority of them feel like he's he's more missed than not in terms of his presence in that secondary. I would agree that he's missed more than not. Nobody's been perfect. Like it, even when Sherman was there, it was Sherman and then like another guy. Like it was Byron Maxwell. It was Brandon Brown. Like nobody really stuck on that other side. And like that's continued uh, even after Sherman's gone. They haven't had two solid cornerbacks there for a very long time. I thought Griffin was good. He, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't a pro bowler or anything like that, but it was good, solid coverage for what they asked him to do. He's not Revis, you know, he's not going to tail your top receiver and go man the whole game, but he's, he's a pretty good, solid zone corner from what I remember. Yeah. I thought it was a mistake to let him go. I think you need to invest in that position. I really like uh, what the Panthers are doing. You know, I was covering Carolina the last few years, What Scott Fitter, who also came from Seattle, he's one of those guys that got hired. They really, really doubled and tripled down on cornerback. They used their first round pick on Horn. They traded for Gilmore. They traded for Henderson. They're just really investing there. And I think that that shows an understanding uh, the modern game really well. I think you almost can't spend too much money. I mean, you have to spend it wisely, but throwing resources at that spot, I think is a really underrated thing. I think it's a good thing to do. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that we wish, you know, <laughs> Trent Baalke would do a little better here. <laughs> I know you've heard that name before uh, as the GM for the Jaguars. Um, he's a guy that, I mean, yeah, they spent a second-round pick on Tyson Campbell, right? But a lot of us will argue that Tyson Campbell uh, shouldn't have been taken there, you know, or another DB should have been taken there or whatever the case may be. And I'm a Georgia fan. It's coming from me. I'm with you in terms of uh, having that understanding for the cornerback position. You know, depending on who you ask, it's a premium position. To some people, some people don't really consider it that, but I, I would be along the lines of, yeah, that's a, a premium position that needs the right in types, uh, the right type of time and investments into it. So anyhow, uh, we're going to pass off. I think what is our last question to Phil, which, uh, you know, we basically want to know what's going to go on this Sunday between these two teams. Yeah, really quick, Tim, just as a follow up to that, while we're on the Shaq Griffin topic before we get to the last question. Did he have a, was he kind of a guy who had trouble kind of closing the deal on some interceptions? Because we've seen him drop a couple of like guaranteed easy interceptions here early on. Did he do that a lot in Seattle as well? I mean, of course, you know, Jay says this all the time, you know, quarterbacks aren't receivers. We get it. But it it just seems like it's happened three or four times this season. Did he have a history of that too in Seattle of, of dropping surefire interceptions? I would say ball skills are not his biggest strength. Like he plays generally good tight coverage. Like he can get his hand in there. Like he can break one up, but I would not rely on him to get you turnovers. Yep. He made one or two here or there, but that's not his thing. He's not going to be Trayvon Diggs. Like that's just, that's just not his game. <laughs> I don't know that anybody is right now. <laughs> that guy yeah. is, is, is tearing up. Yeah. Just wanted to ask that because we've seen it, you know, as uh, happened a couple of times here early on in the season, but we want to get your prediction, but there is one question we ask each of our guests every time they come on if there was oh jay it sounds like there's something you want to add on there yeah well what i wanted to add on it does make sense what tim is saying that he's more i guess the the term i would use in the term you hear with cornerbacks often is he's more pesky than anything and he's more of a nuisance and we're not saying that in a bad way that's what you want your cornerback to be right like you want your cornerback to irritate receivers but like from how Tim explained it, and it makes a lot of sense, uh, he's not a guy that you're going to see tracking the ball when it's in the air 
and snatching it out of the air. Uh, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Even the picks that, you know, at least one of the picks that I can recall that he could have had, it hung up in the air for a long, long time. That was that deep one, uh, I think, against uh, the Denver Broncos that he dropped. If I can recall, that might have been that one. So like, yeah, but like, you know, you have a, an infinite amount of time is what I'm saying to react to that while it's in the air. But otherwise, he's not a guy like on your quick routes. He's probably not a guy that's going to get his head around to uh, see the ball. And I think maybe that's part of the problem, is, as Tim said. But that's an interesting take that we haven't heard before on on Shaq. But yeah, Tim, this is a question we ask all of our guests. And we'd like to know if there was, and we don't expect you, of course, to be familiar with you know, the entire roster, but if there was one player you could poach from the Jaguars and place them on the Seahawks, do you have an idea? Or who do you think that would be to help the Seahawks get better right away? Oh man, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. I know, I know what I want, <laughs> but like I'll get cheat for it. Uh, I, I mean, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence, like it's it, just not a very deep roster. A eh? like, there's not great talent around him, but like if you have a chance to get a number one overall pick, even though I love Russell Wilson, like, but he's 33 now. Like we don't know how much longer he's going to be. Most people aren't Tom Brady. I'm not Tom Brady. I'm not going to be still playing hoops at 43 or whatever it is. Like you, you just can't rely on a quarterback playing at that level for that long. Like eventually he's going to fall off, but it be three, four years. But like, if you have a chance to get a, a new franchise quarterback that you can build around eventually, uh, who knows? Like if this offseason, if things really go bad here, like if we lose to Jacksonville, like that's going to be a problem. Like are people going to start talking about Pete Carroll finally? Uh, I think we're starting to get some like chatter for the very first time, legitimate chatter, like Pete Carroll needs to be fired. I think it's maybe a little overdue, but like it's probably not going to happen, but you don't know how it's going to go. And if you get a chance to get a piece like that, I think you have to take it. Like if I can poach Trevor Lawrence, I'm absolutely doing it. Even if he has to sit behind Wilson for two or three more years, I'm absolutely taking Lawrence. Listen, that is not a bad selection. I mean, pairing, if you just think about in terms of fantasy booking, you know, pairing him with DK Metcalf is, you know, that's fantasy booking 101, right? That's the definition of it right there. So definitely don't uh, hate that answer. And, uh, you know, I hope that Seahawks fans would under understand that answer as well. But we'll get to this here. You know, you kind of alluded to it. I did see, you know, kind of an, an article that you're somewhat talking about and alluding to there, you know, if the Seahawks lose this game then yeah, these questions have to start coming as far as Pete Carroll. What is your prediction for this Sunday's game? Of course, the Jaguars always struggle when they travel out to the West Coast, as you know, quite a few East Coast teams do. Uh, but a team that's coming off their first victory, a team that has looked good in three of their last four games, and you know, you, you talked about how Geno Smith has been doing what Geno Smith thinks. You know, he's been pretty average. What do you think, what is your final prediction for this Sunday's game between the Jags and the Seahawks? Oh, it, it's really hard to, to say anymore. I don't know what their identity is. Like I'm just, I'm in crisis mode in case you can't tell from this game last night. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're all about. I don't know what they're capable of. I don't know if they're playing down to their competition or if they're just losing focus. They've lost two overtime games to really good playoff teams, but none of it makes any sense. I have to pick Seattle. I just, I have to, because yeah, I think Jacksonville is starting to gel. Like you're seeing positive signs, even though I, I don't know, Miami is, they look much worse than I expected them to be, but you have the bye week you're fresh and it's just total chaos here right now. Home field advantage is meaningless. 
they're a better road team than a home team now. It's just like, I know what their reputation is. I know, oh, you go into Seattle, especially on a Monday night, like that's a, forget about it. The NFL wouldn't even book games there, primetime games at Seattle for a while, but it's just, it's gone. The magic is gone. The home field is gone. So I have no clue what to expect anymore, but just on instinct, pure gut instinct, I have to say like Seahawks will, will find a way to win this game because they need to. Uh, like heads will roll if they don't. I, I, I think uh, Seahawks 21, Jaguars 18. I think ugly, ugly win, field goal at the last second, something like that. That's smart. Never trust the Jags, even when they have moments. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, that those are the kind of games that Jacksonville has been in, too. You know, Jay, like, you know, the low scoring, kind of ugly, you know, ugly games that they probably could have won. But again, a team that's, like you said, Tim, is figuring it out. And also, just looking at your schedule, like the, you know, have, you have the bye coming up, but you got to win this game, right? I mean, you got the Packers and Cardinals back to back after Jacksonville. You can't get away with losing a game to you know a one win team and then go into you know the meat grinder for the next couple of weeks after that. Yeah, no, this is a, well. This last night was a must win game. The game before that was a must win game. Now, now it really is. There's no more room for it. Now you need to win five games in a row just to save your season. Like they're 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 officially up against the ropes. Absolutely. Well, Jay, did you have any other questions before our guests before we uh, get him out of here? And then, you know, just look forward to the game. Yeah, one thing I wanted to add is it's funny what Tim said about Seattle and the the whispers of Pete Carroll, right? If they lost to the Jags, we've seen this, Phil. Miami's a classic case of it. You remember me? You talked about this. The moment Miami lost to the Jaguars, that city went into turmoil, man. So yeah. imagine like, Losing to Jacksonville, if you're, you know, the the dynasty that Seattle is in the football community, at least in the NFL community, and, and losing the game to the Jags. So, like, yeah, I, I, I thought about that, too, earlier before we even recorded the podcast. It's like, dude, like, if the, the Jaguars are going to start sending fan bases into, into trauma if they shambles. start beating them. Yeah. <laughs> because, it, you know, like, they look so, you know, they look so dysfunctional themselves early in the year, and now they're starting to figure it out. And, uh, yeah, man, that's just the interesting take from him. Um, I think it's going to be that way for the next few opponents. The Bills after that, right? You know, not that we think they're going to beat the Bills. or the Well, yeah, for the Jaguars, they got to win this game because they're going to get shellacked by the Bills. Right. Probably <laughs> here at home. I haven't been to the stadium in a month, and I get to go watch them play the Bills. So that's going to be a, an exciting one. But like you said, Jay, you know, the Miami fan base, you know, wanting to turmoil. Their front office want nuts, apparently. Now they're, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that whole trade situation. But yeah, definitely for Seattle, it's a win they need more than Jacksonville. For Jacksonville, you know, we're playing with house money, Tim. We just got to keep getting better, and they're doing that. So for Seattle, it's a little bit different for sure. But Tim, we thank you so much for joining us. Again, make sure to check out the Seahawks Wire for all the up-to-date Seattle Seahawks news. And hopefully we get through this game. You know, everybody gets through safe and healthy. That's the most important thing. And Tim, we thank you for your time, and we hope to do this again with you very, very soon. Sure thing. Anytime. Thanks, Tim. Take care. All right, everybody. So again, shout out to Tim for joining us from the Seahawks Wire. A lot of great insight there. And, you know, some questions, of course, we have been just waiting to ask a Seahawks insider since we got, you know, some of these carryovers between Shaq Griffin, Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer. So I'm glad we got some of those answers and excited to see this matchup because, again, it's a Jaguar team that has just a little bit of confidence and has been playing better 
and you're going up against the Seattle Seahawks team that isn't playing very well at all. It seems like Tim was alluding to it. They're trying to figure out who they are without Russell Wilson, and I don't think they know. Yeah, not only that, it's a it's a chance. You know, you don't like to get too high on the Jags, but it's a chance because these are new Jaguars. Again, we keep saying they don't play well on the West Coast. Well, a lot of these dudes that's on the team now weren't on the team when we last played the Seahawks. I mean, the two that I can remember, and the only reason I can remember this is because I revisited the fight that you were talking about where Jefferson almost ended up in the stance. But the two that I can remember seeing on the field was A.J. Cannon and Linder. Of course, Linder was a main part of the the whole, you know, ordeal with the Seahawks because Michael Bennett tried to roll his leg up. So, yeah, like a lot of these guys we've seen aren't from that team, you know, or, or have been around any of these past regime West Coast trips. I mean, we're talking about Trevor Lawrence. We're talking about James Robinson here. We're talking about DJ Chark. Well, no, I shouldn't say DJ Chark. He's on IR now. But we're talking about guys of that magnitude. Cam Robinson is one that's probably been around for a while. But aside from him and, like, Lorente McCray, a lot of these guys are just a new batch of players. Yeah, and, you know, and certainly, and shout-out to our friend J-Paul as well. Her and her mom will be at that game. You know, hope the uh, city treats you nicely. You know, aside from the, you know, the football team and their fans, the Seattle is a awesome place to visit. I've been there once before, and it's it's a lot of fun. So, you know, hopefully for any of you Jaguar fans that are making that trip, hopefully you have at least a uh, an enjoyable time while you're in Seattle. Yeah, side note, I would love to go to Seattle one day because, as you said, it's, it seems like a beautiful city. I was just looking up uh, their new arena, Climate Pledge Arena. Well, it's not new. It's been there for a very long time, but they renovated it to have the Kraken there. The Kraken, one of the... They got one of the best logos in sports, man. They have a root for that. I would team, love just on that to alone. visit that arena. I would love to go there to check out that arena. I wish Atlanta had a Thrasher still to support as a hockey team, but that, I, I think the days of the NHL in Atlanta is probably over with because they got two cracks at it. But um, yeah, man, like so many cool things going out, uh, going on over there. Shout outs to Jay Paul and her mom. Because um, I hope they have a good time over there. And they, you know, of course, J-Paw is a loyal listener. Most importantly, for anybody important and in power that's listening, bring basketball back to Seattle, damn it. Bring the Sonics back to Seattle. Take away, I don't know. And I talked about this with Boogie. We're getting off track before we end this episode here, Jay. You know, the Clippers are building, of course, their own arena in L.A. Or I don't think it's in L.A. I think it's like an Inglewood, which is just really weird to me. If I were Steve Ballmer, I would have picked the Clippers up and moved them to Seattle and build your own legacy, get out of the shadow of the Los Angeles Lakers, which they're always going to be on, and be a hero in Seattle, Washington, and bring back the Supersonics. But again, that's fantasy booking, like we talked about with Tim, but that's what I would have done if I had that kind of money. <laughs> again, bro, that's that's where they played, at Climate Pledge Arena. And for them to spend all like a billion dollars in renovations in it, Hell, why not go there if you're the Clippers, you know, and the money they put into it? Because they have expressed that they want basketball back there at that arena, too. Um, And, you know, like like you said, we're kind of getting sidetracked here. But it's so many cool things going on with that venue, man. Like, they're the only, like, eco-friendly, like, fully eco-friendly venue in in terms of sports stadiums that I believe that's in this nation, in the United States. So, man, yeah, like, Steve Ballmer should have jumped on that if he could have. But, you know. I mean, of course, when you talk about that, you got to talk about lease situations and how 
invested you are into the city and all of that. So it's probably not that easy. Well, you know, as far as the stadium being, you know, a clean energy source, what do you expect from a place that Daniel Bryan is from, right? Or Brian Danielson. I, the artist formerly known as Daniel Bryan, now known as Brian Dan- Danielson, the American Dragon. But with that being said, Jay, is there anything else you want to mention as far as what our listeners can look forward to, not only here in the podcast, but of course over on the wire? And then we'll get out of here for the week and look forward to Jags and Seahawks. Nah, I mean, we'll do behind enemy lines again. Again, as as we say every week, we'll do the written form with Tim, uh, get some questions. I'll probably, you know, maybe try and get some different questions off than we addressed here. I'll do the same for Seahawks Wire. Uh, so that'll, there'll be that. Um, you know, of course, we'll keep our ear to the ground in terms of the trade deadline, which is what, next week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think my timeline might be a little bit off, but I, yeah, it's next week. Uh, it's what, six, seven days away, something like that. So we'll keep our ear to the ground on that. You know, Urban Meyer kind of talked about that on Monday in his press conference. Um, maybe they look for some receiver help. We'll see. Uh, would be nice to get Michael Thomas, right? But, um, you know, or Allen Robinson. I'm just, you know, I'm just I'm just throwing some names out there if they listen to the podcast. Uh, we need some alphas in the house. But aside from that, man, I'll be laying low and doing what I do best, man. Well, if anybody on the trade block, any teams out there went fifth or sixth round draft picks, we are your team. So look no further than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Everybody, again, thank you so much for joining us. Shout out to any of you here locally in Jacksonville. If you are tailgating this weekend for Florida, Georgia, please just be safe, be responsible. We We don't need any tragedies coming out of this weekend. We just want everybody to have a safe and fun time. Go dogs. Uh, But, you know, other than that, you know, we want everybody to have a safe and fun time. But this has been Believe in the Jaguars. Again, if you're enjoying the show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify on your Apple device, you can do us a huge favor and leave us a five-star review. You can also find the show on Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, Amazon Music, and TuneIn. Of course, we're on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of the awesome Believe Podcast Library. Make sure to follow the show at Believe in Jags Pod on Twitter. Find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. Check the jaguarswire.usatoday.com for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguar news. This has been Believe in the Jaguars presented by Bet Online. Don't forget to believe in the Jaguars, but more importantly, believe in yourselves, and we will see you next week.